Hello and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike and I'm here with Nick. Hey, how you doing, buddy? So, a lot of times we pre-record episodes and I can tell you this time we're not. So, it's been a few weeks. How you been? I've been good. I'm tired, busy, but good. Well, that's good. That seems to be the general consensus. Today, our topic is greenwashing. So what do you know about greenwashing? Um, Prior to half an hour ago, I didn't know anything. I thought about it. And generally speaking, when you hear a topic that's unfamiliar, you can usually deduce at least a close idea as to what it could mean. Mm -hmm. But I really had any idea. And just so you're out there listening, I absolutely set my own brother up to fail this week. I have given him exactly zero information. Other than the word greenwashing. That's a perk of being in the family. <laughs> and I did it about an hour and a half to two hours ago. So uh, that is not surprising because greenwashing is not necessarily a well-known term. It's definitely a well-practiced thing, though. It is. And the more you learn about it, the more you see it. You hmm. see it everywhere. Personally, it makes me cranky. The moment I see it, now that I'm trained to look for it, it's sometimes very difficult, especially walking through like a big box store. Because mm-hmm. you see it, people use it as a as a way to look a little different on a shelf. And it's if you're trained at all, it just drives you bonkers. So greenwashing is the process of, of conveying a false impression or providing misleading information about how a company's product is environmentally sound. Okay, so kind of like telling you all the good stuff without the negative side of it. Maybe they do that kind of shift your view, misdirect you as to why they don't want you looking. Kind of, yeah. And now I have my own version that anytime I speak, I've ever said. It's a company or an organization spending more money to convince you that their actions or products are sustainable than the amount that they actually would need to make them sustainable. So you're telling me it's a PR stunt? Yeah, nine times out of ten it is. Anytime that you see greenwashing, it's an attempt to trick you into thinking they're better than they are, and the money they spent discussing it, doing case studies, changing their products, uh, packaging, changing their their paper supplies, and all these other things, they could have just done it correctly. But they did it to trick you. And that's what greenwashing really is, is when you think of it, it's a deception. From a productivity perspective, it seems kind of backwards. It seems like they would, someone would you know, raise their hand and say, you do know we're spending 20% more than we need to if we actually just fix the problem? You would think, but then you'd have to be trained to fix the problem. So is it a fear of change? Just kind of go with what you know? I think that's almost a universal answer for any kind of thing, is that people are afraid of change. But yeah, they, they're used to doing it their way. They're losing market share. All the reports say that the market share will come back if they're seeing a little more green. So they start a marketing campaign instead of actually making the change. So you're telling me this is the perfect place for my all-time favorite phrase, people fear what they don't understand. I think that can be inserted into... 60% of society. Yeah, you will find the more we do this, I'm going to drop it every chance I can. <laughs> so when it comes to greenwashing, there's a lot of ways people attempt to greenwash. There's a lot of historical examples mm-hmm. that are that are pretty well known. One of them you kind of brought up is the misdirection. We're trying to get you to look at, hey, the paper on this packaging is recyclable. It's in four layers of plastic and the item inside is also plastic. That does not make it eco-friendly. It just means that you made packaging that might have been recycled once and could be again. So essentially, they, they sell you on the idea that it's 
made of recycled product, mm-hmm. but they package it in a way that any benefit that could have been deduced from the recycled product is now gone. Yeah. Because it's got all this plastic over it. And like we talked about in previous episodes, plastics downgrade. So they have very, very few recyclable properties in mm-hmm. them. Well, I mean, you can, in a sense, recycle everything, but it might take so much more energy to recycle it. And so they don't. Most plastics are just burned or buried. That's what I want to breathe. <laughs> right. So for an example, in The Beginner's Guide to Green in Your Life, in the book, I talk about the box waters. I had I was, I was at the YMCA teaching STEM, and there was a gentleman drinking a water out of a box. And it said, it's just a white box, black lettering. It says, box water better for the earth or something like that. Of that nature. That doesn't make any sense. It's still in a plastic bag inside the box. It, yeah, it gets worse the more you look at it. So, w- of course, me being me, I was still in college. I'm looking for that thesis. Let me see that for a minute. And I tear his box apart. Most water bottles, about 80% of the plastic comes from the cap. Yeah, it's the only dense, hard part because it's where the water comes out of. The rest of it's super thin and flexible. Right. So, and it had a cap. Okay, so, so we're down to 20% left to, to show some benefit. So it's got a cap. It's got a ring. Uh, if it's in a box, it probably has some kind of valve to slow it down or stop it from coming out the way it's like just free-flowing. Uh, and then there is going to be the box, but because it has a, a liquid bag in it, it probably is plastic-lined. It's got a graphic design wrap. It's not just going to be a cardboard box. It's got to be pretty. It's going to have the <laughs> adhesive to keep the box shut. What am I forgetting? I'm forgetting stuff. Well, it, and you're right. I'm. By the way, you're making me very proud over here that you're going through these steps because each one of those is a, is a material and a production line. And when you have a plastic bottle, although still not, I, please do not use single-use plastic bottles, but it's only a couple of lines. They make all their labels with thermal printing. It's not an ink per se. You have um, the bottle itself being mass-produced. It's being mass-produced from a waste product. Please still don't use them. Bottle cap label. Bottle cap label. This box was wax-covered, which is a whole nother production process. Wax or plastic. I knew it was one of them. It had to be a white box with black lettering. Gets your attention. Right? Because it's very Mm -hmm. generic. But that means that paper has been bleached. You call it generic, but that's been selling Oreo cookies for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So you have ink, real ink, Printed on extremely bleached paper stock or mm-hmm. cardboard stock, waxed for its protection. Yep. With and then when you tear it open, you were right. It had a bladder, a plastic bladder on the inside because you don't want that water leaking out. Along with its cap, it didn't have a valve, but it did have the ring. So I'm looking at this thing, going, "That is not better. That is marketably worse." Yeah, you're right. It is markedly worse, but it's no different than a giant adult version of a juice box, which is what every parent likes to feed their kids or Capri Suns. Like, they're terrible. Well, and it, so I looked at it because they always have to have the wording right so that it's legal and it said it's biodegradable. The boxes? Well, <laughs> yes, it is, but it would take an immense amount of time. It's still waxed and it's still going to leave a cap, a ring, and a bladder. Yeah. And because it's waxed, and I know that you're not a big fan of burning like unnecessarily and releasing all the carbon back into the air, but because it's waxed, it won't burn properly. It really will end up happening. As as it burns, the wax will boil out of it, and it'll drip into the ground, and then that goes down, and the, the cardboard eventually will, while releasing black smoke, burn. It's not really, while it be the fastest way to get rid of it, it's not ideal. Well, and it was something I paid very close attention to because I saw this while I was in Flint during the 
the Flint water crisis. I was already upset about the amount of single-use containers. I mean, you saw there's stacks and stacks and stacks of just single-use water bottles. They didn't give large jugs. They didn't do refill centers. They did. People were taking baths with cases after cases after cases of water. That that bothered me more than anything. And keep in mind, anything you hear me say is from the perspective of the outsider, the person who didn't have the misfortune of being in that community, who just seen everything from the outside. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion on this is, the average person does require a certain amount of water daily to live healthy. The average person also does not drink that water in the form of water. Tea, coffee, soda, they're much better tasting alternatives that most of us go for. Fruit, bananas, all kinds of stuff. So, that the majority of the water I use throughout the day is not water that I'm drinking. It's water that I'm bathing with. It's water that I'm cooking, that I'm flushing down a toilet. It's it's laundry. Mm-hmm. That is an enormous... I mean, so if you have a 32-pack of eight... I'm sorry, not eight, 16-ounce bottles, 32 times 16 is what, four and a half gallons, <laughs> give or take? And you're I, just pouring... If you want a bath, because you, I'll tell you, the only thing worse than drinking leaded water mm-hmm. is heating it up and breathing in the steam. Yeah, so taking a shower was out of the question because mm-hmm. the only water you had was leaded. Yeah, so now you're going to open up, I don't know, 140 little single-use bottles. To boil water to get to to be hot to take a bath, right? I mean, you're you're not going to siphon it through your shower, so I mean, it's it's not on top of it not being practical. It was almost counterproductive. It was a huge waste of money and manpower, and, and on top of everything else, it's a waste of product. Yep, it was a disservice to that community. It, it was already bad enough as a community. In our attempts to help, we literally made it worse, in my opinion. Trust me, if you get me going on Flint water, this is going to be a whole different episode. So I'm going to try to move on quickly because I will sit here for hours. It was, we, we tried to fix a human tragedy with an ecological tragedy. The whole thing was a dumpster fire. When you go back to that box water, because I was in Flint, water was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and after I go through showing a class of kids what was in this box and how much energy was in this box and what its claims were versus the reality, you know, the kids, yeah, some were hungry. They went to lunch, you know, and but the, the gentleman who had it was upset. He was visually upset. He had been tricked. He thought he was doing the right thing. Water was a, is still a big deal in Flint. Yeah, of And course. it's not okay. That's when he learned about greenwashing, mm-hmm. was that very moment. You know, and for example, organic beef. The word organic came, it means comes from living matter. You really want to get in the food no, topic with I me? No, I don't because I, I go on rants about using words for the right and wrong reasons. But organic I... beef... Is grass-fed. They mean something different than what they're saying. Most of marketing is an intentional misdirection with clickbait words. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to say this slowly so I don't stutter. And the problems that arise with those particular topics end up being misunderstandings and decisions made with the best intentions with a poor education. That guy with his box of water thought he was doing something better, and he wasn't. So now he's upset. People that shop organic, what they think they're buying is food that hasn't been altered or changed. No GMOs, blah, blah, blah. When you say organic beef, now I know what the word organic means. Right. What that means is grass-fed beef. And I shop, I, I had a steak last night. Commercial agriculture is necessary for our way of life right now. Your current way of life. And the reason why I brought it up as misdirection is, is you hear, you know, grass-fed beef, you're fine. Mm-hmm. When, remember, beef takes a tremendous amount of resources. 
to mm-hmm. grow a cow, uh, an amazing amount of water, an amazing well, amount yeah, of land. You, you're growing an animal that's over a thousand pounds. Yes. And so it doesn't matter if they're organic beef. It's still the least sustainable meat that we can get. And the portions we eat, yes. Yes. So those are good examples of misdirection, like we've been talking about. There's also the Jedi mind trick. I'm going to put a perfectly normal product in a box with a lady in a meadow with a sunny day looking at a flower. You know, it's this, It uh, we're just giving off the assumption that it's good. You see that a lot in store marketing on the shelves, mm-hmm. where they purposely use a cardboard style look. But if you touch it just once, it's not even cardboard. It's just, it's painted to look like cardboard. It's just an attempt, that it's a poor attempt to pretend like it's green without saying it's green or without saying it's sustainable because then they would have to actually defend it they just build the outside so it kind of looks like it they use more greens and yellows another trick that they like to use in marketing is best in class Mm -hmm. and they'll give themselves an award that they kind of made up or i'm the best Mm -hmm. oil producer in the united states well that's you may be you may be the best one, but you are in the worst market. <laughs> you know you yep. can't you can be the best of the worst, and you're still not good. Uh, detergents do that a lot. They'll create a category, call themselves the best. You're still there's nothing good about it. You know where I see this kind of stuff the most, and it's not really what you're talking about, but it's the same mentality. And you, being a fan of sports, you should know this. When you watch things like the NFL. Or if you watch the NBA, they'll take a player that hasn't been doing good in season and they will concoct this statistic that only applies to them and then worship them for hours over it. <laughs> well, that's the first person that hasn't been sacked in 32 years or 16 games with four timeouts and <laughs> to all these things that can never, ever happen again, just so they look really good. Mm-hmm. Companies do the same thing with their products. Yeah, I'm sure there's actual experts who their job is to shine a different light on the product. And that's where this is, is someone creates a, a competition that no one else was in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really easy to win something when you're the only competitor. Oh, yeah, for sure. Matter of fact, you can't lose. You're the only competitor. That is one of those things that that you see on packaging on a regular basis, that if you looked them up, there is no study. There is no competition. There is none none of that. It's just said. What's the use of a a study to prove you're right when it's done by your own research and development team? Mm -hmm. I mean... Which happens a lot more than you think. Oh, I think it happens... Way more than I knew, and now it happens about the, about what I think, because now I just assume that's what it is. <laughs> now, because uh, I've mentioned in the past I'm an engineer in the auto industry, this one's kind of near and dear to my heart also. There's also outright lies. Of course there is. Out, flat out, outright lies where you're purposely misleading. In this case, it was federal organizations and not just individuals, but they didn't market their products as the best in class, the best in market. And that was Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Volkswagen programmed the computer in the vehicle to run differently under test conditions. Of course they did. And it really worked for a long time until they got caught. Now they've spent millions and millions and millions in fines. But, you know, some people were buying those cars Mm because they were the best in class for emissions. I I don't doubt that. And as as the listeners will find out, I make a lot of analogies and comparisons. But I want people to really understand how this kind of stuff correlates to the day-to-day life Mm -hmm. so i am going to compare this to a meme that i'm sure you've seen everyone has seen 
There is a meme that floats around every now and then, generally in heavily populated areas, big cities, with terrible roads, where it shows these stone roads are made hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and say, oh, this has lasted for this long. How come they can't make I-75 work? And then they usually take a crack at engineers or people that work in infrastructure and blah, 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 blah. Okay. The reason I bring that up is you're right. That road has lasted for hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand years. Okay. Let's be real. Let's compare it. What did that road not have traveling down it? I don't know. 3,000 pound vehicles, 20,000 pound vehicles, <laughs> hundreds a day at a time. Thousands of people traversing. That road that looks so good that's made of these big stone blocks might have had five people walk down it once a month. So really what you're telling me is the reason it lasted is because it was never ever used. Mm-hmm. People don't think they're far into it. So you talk about if it was programmed differently for the test. Of course it was. Because they wanted to do well. I'm ashamed that it took that long for someone to realize, well, no, these aren't real conditions. They should have them driving on the road and then look at the numbers. The the biggest problem with this is, is that's a felony. Yeah. Uh, this is this was a this is the first time I'm going to say first time because I guarantee it's not the only time or the last time mm-hmm. where a large organization just got caught gaming the system and that i guarantee you isn't the only place it's happening you know here we are with with emissions climbing in, in our atmosphere and we can't necessarily police it because the engineers at times are outsmarting the rules so that was that was another one sometimes flat out companies just outright lie purposely outright lie there's also times where companies take advantage of disasters even even ones they've created Almost everybody immediately goes to BP and Exxon for the oil spills. They almost always find something that they're doing. Matter of fact, BP, which was the Gulf of Mexico spill, stood in front of everybody and told them how it's going to help the economy in that area. After it happened? During it. That's called damage control. It yeah, is. That's all and that is. is terrible. That's, that is, when you're a little brother... And you get hurt. Your big brother goes, well, he was doing this. It's just misdirecting blame. That's all it is. It's just trying to reshape the narrative so they don't look like a giant pile of crap. Well, And there's always people who jump in because this is what they do. There's certain dish soap companies that show up every time to wash a duck. Yeah. So that they can go on television. So well, yeah, it's co- it's it's rebranding, it's remodeling. If, if if something gets destroyed, you want to be the one to pick it and put it back together. That makes you look good. That's common sense. But if you tell me that if I shine my car up real nice and then it gets ran down the road, that's all muddy. It's gonna shine nicer the second time. No, it still got ran through the mud. So when you do something crappy, you still did it. It's your it should be your responsibility to fix it. Right. Don't tell me why. It, like what it's gonna do shouldn't have happened in the first place, right? Don't don't break something and then brag about fixing twenty percent of it. Um, and so that's another form of greenwashing is playing the hero on something you've destroyed because that ecosystem is is grossly damaged and has changed permanently. Yeah, cleaning the surface isn't isn't half of what you should have been doing. Well, not really greenwashing about the ecosystems. Look at look at the dams that were built. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when they built a dam, they completely destroyed an ecosystem. Now the ecosystem over these amount of years has, has adjusted and changed and became something totally new because the dam was built. Mm-hmm. So now if you were to destroy the dam, which a lot of people want to do, you recreate the first problem you did in the first place. You destroy the ecosystem all over again. Yeah, and if you ask me, when I talk about what I consider to be clean energy, uh, you will hear me say 
existing hydroelectric dams. Yeah, don't build a new one. Those need to stay functional for as long as they can, because now we've already formed this ecosystem around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't build new ones. We're all done building new ones. We've got a bunch of big ones. Maintain these. You know, so yeah, you're right. When it comes to dams, same thing applies. You just keep the ones you have because we've already disrupted the ecosystem. Let's not do it twice. Um, And the last one I have written down for ways of greenwashing is just being wrong. Maybe not on purpose, just bad information. I'm going to go straight to K-Cups. It was, you know, <laughs> you I'm really hate to. those things. <laughs> the the plastic, you know, single serve, pop yeah. it in. Now you got a cup of coffee Good was of coffee. so that you wouldn't waste coffee. But now we have billions of tiny cups that will easily outlive us <laughs> and, oh, and likely for, our civilization. For sure. I, so we had we had a Keurig for about three years, give or take. I, I don't remember how long it was exactly. And I probably went through hundreds of those k-cups for the first year Mm -hmm. i drink a lot of coffee you make it one cup at a time you're it sounds strange but i drink a lot more coffee i would drink a pot and at the end of a pot i okay i'm not going to make another one i probably won't drink anymore i might have one cup and then i'm wasting a half gallon of coffee right obviously not a half gallon but with the k-cups okay oh this is delicious perfect cup of coffee and it was they are fantastic but for that first year we just went we'd buy Whatever flavor sounded good. And then my wife, and thank God, she went and she just, because they're expensive. And not Mm -hmm. only is is the long-term damage to the environment extensive, they are not cheap. So they might sell you on the premise that, you know, it's cheaper instead of wasting all that coffee. It's actually five times more expensive. Because if you buy a box of them, which is like $8, and you get 10 cups of coffee, your your cost on a cup of coffee is like eighty five cents. After like, it's ridiculous. It really is. And then, but if you go buy ten dollars on a canister of coffee, you can make like thirty pots out of it. Your cost on a cup of coffee is about four cents. Um, obviously, these numbers aren't exact. Please, mathematicians out there, don't smack me. I know. <laughs> I'm just you know, just be. I'm generalizing. But my wife bought me a reusable one where you just buy the brand of coffee you like, and you refill it, and then just when it's done, you dump it out, wash it out, and it. I never used another one after that. Well, I never purchased one after that. My my in-laws and my, my sister-in-law would give me some. So I'd use them if they were given to me. That's how I think they should have been marked. I think those things should have came. The reusable cups should have came stock with the Keurig. And then K-cups never, ever should have been pushed the way they were. Well, I guarantee in a marketing room somewhere, someone said, we can, we can raise the price of coffee by 500%. Mm-hmm. Or tea or hot chocolate or any other beverage. Literally, dude, it's ridiculous. Yep. And... So now it's it's too late. I mean, just billions and billions and billions of these tiny, unusable plastic cups mm-hmm. are just going to get incinerated or buried or whatever. And they're in our lives forever. Mm-hmm. So there, that's an example of an engineering mistake. Another one, a mistake turned to tragedy, is microbeads. Taking old plastic, recycling it down to a very small, like almost green of sand or, or like a, a large green of sand. And putting it in soaps. Why would they do that? Because it creates a grit. Because they usually used to use Why coconut shell or sand? pumice. They use coconut shell, pumice, those kinds of things. This was a way they could, quote unquote, use plastic so they didn't go to the landfill. Well, they, So they go into our drinking water? They go into the things that live in the ground that are going to eat them? This last week I read a, I read a research paper on nature that humans were now finding humans have small amounts of that plastic in them. Yeah. And it's being transferred from our fish. Yeah. That 
fish are eating you know all these in the ocean they're filling up there's they're finding whales with a pound or two of these little plastics they've been finding out for a couple years now because it's all over the oceans but it's no longer a big piece they ate this is just i mean they're accumulation yeah you know it's just an amazing amount but what started off as we can use that plastic and not throw it in the ground we'll just use it to help exfoliate your face has now turned into a global tragedy yeah now it's not going anywhere no, now now it's here to stay, mm-hmm. you know. So that's a that's that's the last example that I had of different ways. And I know you know listeners out there have hundreds of other ones. If you if you know more greenwashing ideas or, or ways companies try to mislead us, shoot it into some comments for us. Put it right in at the website or on the Facebook group or page. Because yeah. the more we see it, the better it is for everybody. You know what I kind of wish they'd do with plastic. I kind of wish that they would collect. At these recycling places, as they as they get plastics in, they would just stockpile it, and then I understand that it downgrades, but I would wish they would, with all the plastics possible, would just mold them into like a statue. At that at that point, plastic that's that big and dense is going to be heavy. You can, like they do with playground equipment, same basic premise. Instead of making statues out of metal or stone, use use the, we already have all the plastic, and I don't mean make new plastic for it. I just mean recycle old stuff. And I only say that because there's so much of it. It's going in our water. It's going in our ground. It's going everywhere we don't really want it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the amount of plastic that is used on a daily basis. Yeah. And I, I had put some numbers in the book, but they did that because it's just hard to get your mind around. Yeah. You know, how many straws in an hour in the yeah. United States? Exactly. In and one day, straws, even with some states banning, right now we could fill a school bus every single day. With the mm-hmm. amount of straws used. And that's what I'm saying. There's that much. And for me, like, so there was a picture posted on Facebook a while back. And it was all this garbage. It was disgusting. Like, it, it was all over the ground in some city. And it looked terrible. And my only comment was, look at all the spoons. There was like 15 little white <laughs> plastic spoons. And I got ridiculed by people we know mm-hmm. and people we don't know about, oh, that's all you see. It's a problem. Blah, blah. Well, that is a problem because the dirt's dirt. I mean, it's ugly. Bad. Sweep it away. Right. The spoons aren't going anywhere. And I think, going back to my statue idea, do that, and then at the very bottom, imprint every like a statistic and everything that went in there. This was 5 million straws. This was 400 million spoons. <laughs> Give people an idea as to what we're... Like a real, a tangible notion. That would be interesting. It would be easy to mold. Uh, we just create a mold and melt it in there. And- Wouldn't even be that much heat. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could take it lighter and completely destroy you know and i don't mean like mold it and paint it so you can't tell just mold it enough so it binds so you can still see that was a spoon that was a straw that was a pot bottle a kid's toy or something yeah that was a rubber duck yeah well the term greenwashing came from i'm gonna try to say it right uh jay westerveld in 1986 okay now the reason why I'm telling you that now and not in the beginning is because the complaint that he had is what I believe to be a positive greenwash. Because yeah. there is a such thing, because if it leads to a better result, you know, we've talked about po- positive footprints before, but this is, it's okay if someone greenwashes something, if the result is better. So you and I talk about this a lot, uh, doing something for the wrong reasons that has a positive outcome, even yeah. if... Like Walmart or one of those big box stores, whatever the reason they do it may not be the greatest motivation. Mm-hmm. But if it results in something good and it's not illegal, it didn't hurt anyone, 
than than it happened. Yeah. What they were pointing out was hotel rooms, and you see it to this day. There's a sign that says, put the towel on the floor if you want it washed, but hang it if you can use it again. Now, what that company was attempting to do was reduce the amount of turnaround time inside of a hotel room. Also reduces the labor they need and all the other stuff. And less laundry means less water, less soaps, all these other pieces, because Mm -hmm. they were always washing all of it at once. Well, yeah, they're trying to cut the cost, first and foremost. Right. There's a note on the bed that says, there's two beds. If you're only using one, stick with the one. So that, you know, they, they won't turn out the other bed. And... So this this uh, this was a paper written by Jay that was very upsetting to him. Now I look at that as less water, less mm-hmm. soap, less. Yes, there's some less labor involved, but really it's more of the materials. I'm more worried about the materials, especially water. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I look at as a positive that you can do something. And obviously the hotel chains are just saving money. Good. They need to see a positive benefit for doing the right thing. Yeah, you need to reward good behavior. Yeah. And honestly, with that kind of stuff, it kind of, I'm not going to say it's reflected in culture, but I will say that if you, if for some reason you and your wife go to stay at a hotel and all they have is a two bedroom and you obviously only need one because you don't bring your kids or whatever the reason is, there is no purpose to use both. So doing so just for the sake of doing it is kind of crappy. I don't have a, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a nice way to put that. It's just not needed. Mm -hmm. And, and you brought up Walmart. The reason why favorite store. (laughs) The reason why I bring up Walmart is because they buy, and I believe they still are, the leader in purchasing solar panels. Good that they they use the square footage of their buildings. They're they've started in the south. They're putting up solar panels on the top of the building to reduce their energy costs. They're doing that because it reduces their energy costs. Well, you but that makes sense. The buildings are so big. I'm sorry to cut you off. Mm -mm. The buildings are so large. And they have to be kept at a really temperate climate for just for most of their most of their customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't be running that building at you know sixty degrees all the time. That their energy bills, I I would, be, I would shudder to think how high their consumers' bill in a store like that would be without mm-hmm. something to offset it. Well, in 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 history, as a guy who's always studied business, that's always a cost that you can't get rid of. That's always been a stable cost that you had. And that there was no change to it. You just knew you had to pay it when you were deciding on if you were going to open another store. Yeah. This gives them that opportunity to change that. Yeah, that's big overhead. It is a big overhead. And the greenest watt is the one that didn't have to be produced by the the power plant. So Mm -hmm. for every foot of solar panel they're putting in, that's just another chunk of coal that didn't get burned. Because remember, you burn one chunk of coal at the power plant. Walmart gets 16% of that energy because you lose the rest of it on the way. Mm-hmm. So anything they produced in-house, very little loss in comparison because it came from the sun. There's no feedstock. So as much as we beat up a lot of these places, and don't get me wrong, they are not Patagonia. You know, They are not these other organizations who truly try to do it right. Mm-hmm. They're just looking at the spots where they can make a change and save some bucks. And yeah, and I, as someone who hopes to be a business owner one day, I understand how frugal you have to be in nature and really be conscientious of where your money goes. But also, on the other side of it, the buildings have so many square feet that if they did the entire roof, which I assume is where their solar panels are, because I've never seen one on the sides, Mm -hmm. sides, that's a big debt. And to be honest, that's a good way to utilize what I consider dead space. Yeah. 
Dead's, the top of a building is dead space. They're not utilizing it for anything more than an air conditioner. I mean, they don't do anything else up there. So if you're able to cover a top of a building and roof with, with you know solar panels, great. I don't care what company does it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, and to me, a roof has two, has two purposes beyond being a roof. If you're going to do something with it, it should either A, have solar panels on it, mm-hmm. or B, it should have a, a garden. Yeah, I love it that sh- idea. It should, it, how they build parks. Uh, oh. Ford, for an example, down in Detroit, has a full-blown garden, grass. All out, they have a complete green roof on one of their facilities. I did not know that. Yeah, and it, it'll, you know, bees and nature can still enjoy the space. And if I remember correctly, even employees can go up there and have picnics. But uh, it is a, a green space under a plant. I think, personally... That the idea of a flower garden, specifically flower garden, is is amazing for that kind of stuff. And maybe because I'm kind of partial to bees, I think we need more bees in this world because all of our food <laughs> come. I mean, really, all of our food comes from plants. The plants that we don't eat feed the animals we do. So we kind of need pollination. We need bees. We need them around. Right. And I don't think... I mean, maybe I'm just being a sap, but I, I don't think there's enough of that. So I, I think flower gardens and buildings is a great idea. And so for another example, my last example, I'm going to give Amazon, which is a massive energy hog, not counting the amount of vans driving around during mm-hmm. the house. First of all, they've they pledged to be net zero energy wise okay. by 2040, which, it you know, it's not way down the road. But it's in the right direction. But it's in the right direction. At least they're putting that effort in. They've also pledged to purchase 100,000 electric vans. Okay. Now, that what that does is something a bit different. That is good. That is good for electricity. That is good for them to not have emissions for the vans that drive around. It also legitimizes the electric vehicle market. It's exactly what it does. So whoever they buy those from mm-hmm. can lower the price so every day every other person can buy one. Well, yeah, every every big company that essentially invests in their own company by making those kinds of steps, those choices, those changes, allows that kind of stuff to be more an everyday thing. Like like it or not, like I love Tesla vehicles. I think they're gorgeous. I would love to own one. We don't have them in Michigan. Oh, uh, well, you can't get them in Michigan. Yeah, I know, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying we don't have them in Michigan. We don't have them in Michigan because they're not as readily available as the gas automotive vehicle is. Well, we don't have them in Michigan because they the can't, they're not allowed to sell them. I know. Because I, they, they in Michigan, we require dealers. Yeah. And they don't use dealers. They sell direct. But you can go to Ohio and buy one. There are lots of Tesla on the road. And if you go to Myers over in Swartz Creek, there's a large charging section for at, Tesla. At Swartz Creek? Mm-hmm. I know. They're now making deals with a lot of these other big box stores to take wasted parking lot space that's way off in the corner, and they're putting in 10, 15 charging. So the more of those you see, the easier it is to charge. Any step in that direction is a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. You've got to have an infrastructure. Well, you have to have an infrastructure, but also you have to have you have to have the companies, and this is why I'm focusing on big companies. You can talk to people all day long. Some people are just stuck in their own their own head. They're stuck in their ways until they see like rider trucking using all electric semis, or you, until they mm-hmm. see it in practical use, and they go, "Oh, maybe that isn't a terrible idea. Maybe I should try that." They'll never say that out loud, but that's what's going to happen in their head. Oh, we have family members who are definitely stuck on internal combustion, but every once in a while. When you see an electric dragster, 
<laughs> and Those it blows wicked. the doors off of any vehicle with a motor. <laughs> I've never understood that was even a question. I don't. <laughs> instant it's, torque. It's instant torque. <laughs> and it's not just instant torque. It's instant torque at every single wheel. It's just gone. Yep. So anyways, you know, so we look at these companies like Amazon and these, it, our pressure helps them move in the right direction and their money helps society move in the oh, right direction. Oh, and they got lots of it. So a lot of times when I bookmark a site, I, I try to bookmark their sustainability tab and then go to whatever else I wanted to look at. Cool. So, so for an example, if I want to go to Coca-Cola, I click on the little icon and it takes me to their sustainability tab. Not because I'm reading it every time, because I want them to keep seeing hits going to that sustainability tab. I want them to know people are looking, people are watching, people want you to do better. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to, like you were talking in the beginning of this about the guy with the box of water. Mm-hmm. People want to know that the decisions they're making are making a positive impact. Maybe not every person, but I I believe that it's in our being as an intrinsic individuals, as essential humans, you have to want to improve things while you're here. I'm not saying that every person is destined to change the world, but enough people do their best to change around them. Even a little bit every day, the world changes real fast. And I think that people take pride in knowing that they're making good choices. Yeah, absolutely. So... Remember, every time you spend a dollar, it's your vote. You're voting every time you spend a dollar. Companies will start to compete for that dollar. And the more we learn about greenwashing, the more we learn about embodied energy, the better decisions we make. And it forces these old-minded companies to move forward. So that's all we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you get an opportunity, join us at greeningyourlife.org or join the Facebook group or page. Help us continue these conversations going forward. These conversations are how we get from point A to point B. We can't do it alone. We have to do it together. I appreciate your time and thank you for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know, but I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future.